So my three-year-old daughter, Daisy, has been learning a lot about kings and queens and princes and princesses lately. Uh, she has a few cartoons that kind of feature those, uh, those things, you know, kings and queens and such. And uh, I always love pretending that I get to be the king and she's my princess and the king gets to dance with the princess and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but it's kind of funny, right? I mean, uh, there really aren't kings and queens really around our world much anymore. They're not really common today as they were in times past. And in fact, if you want to see any really kings and queens uh, in our world, you have to go to a place called Medieval Times. In fact, one of our uh, church members, Dane Austin, was the king at Medieval Times. And essentially, it's a, it's a show, it's an experience where there's knights and there's a battle and there's a king and a queen and uh, it just brings you back into those times. And, uh, but we fast forward to today into modern times and most people have never lived under a king or queen. Uh, except for at least uh, England, right? England has a queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, but really, she has no authoritative power, right? Like the, the Constitution, you know, limits that, and really the, par- the Parliament uh, are, is the, are the ones who are making the uh, legal decisions for the country. Uh, so the queen is only a symbolic figure, a symbolic role in England. And perhaps unintentionally, I think this is how many Christians view Jesus' kingship. The idea that Jesus is king and Lord. Uh, You know, they view it as a symbolic power. You know, it kind of seems like, you know, real authority and real power seems to lie with the government or the military or the economy, the almighty dollar. Uh, That's how things get done in our world. Uh, So people say. And so what ends up happening is we treat Jesus as kind of a symbolic king. You know, yeah, he's king, but... He's not really in charge. Well, friends, today is Ascension Sunday. Uh, This past Thursday was uh, the Ascension Day. Uh, It's the 40 days after Easter where Jesus ascended to heaven. And we've been in this series called Who is Jesus Now? How the Ascended Christ Impacts Your Life Today. And a big reason that I began this series at our church is because I believe the church needs a fundamental recommitment to the doctrine, to the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. He is our victorious King. He's really in charge around here. Um, And this is how all of the early church, the apostles, uh, this is how they understood the meaning of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Uh, I like what uh, Garrett Dawson says about this. He says, The ascended Jesus is the reigning Jesus. Of all the meanings of the ascension, this one is preeminent. Jesus has gone up to the right hand of God the Father, exalted above every name and power. He reigns. Jesus is Lord. There is no other. That's what the ascension means. And so today we're talking about how Jesus is our victorious king. And at home, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible. I think it's important to follow along in the scriptures for yourself. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 41. Uh, That's going to be the passage I'm preaching on this morning. Now, Kind of what happened just before this is Jesus had ascended to heaven, to the spiritual dimension of heaven, and then Pentecost happens where the ascended Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. That's for next week. Uh, Next week is Pentecost. But what happens is it causes a commotion. People are hearing uh, the apostles speak uh, in their own language and all these kinds of languages, and they're wondering, are these people drunk? What is going on? And so Peter gets up to explain And he preaches the church's first ever sermon. 
And that's what we're, lo- we're looking at, a portion of that sermon uh, in our text this morning. It begins in verse 32 where it says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Friends, this morning from this passage, I want to communicate to you three points about what it means for Jesus to be our victorious king. And number one is this. Jesus' ascension is his kingly installation, which opened the gates of heaven to all. Jesus' ascension, it's his kingly installation, which opened the gates of heaven to all. Now, let me recap here. Peter has says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and they were witnesses of it. They saw it. Remember from a, back a few weeks ago where we talked about the, the period of 40 days after Easter where Jesus was appearing to people, eating with them, instructing them, and one of the main things he did was convinced these very monotheistic Jews that he really was risen from the dead and he really was who he said he was. That's what, one of the things he did after Easter. But the father was not finished at Easter. God raised him from the dead, but then God does something else 40 days later. What does it say in verse 33? It says, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. Now, exalted is kind of another word for ascended, uh, except it's, now it's the Father exalting, ascending Jesus to the right hand of God. Now, this right hand, this is the traditional place of authority and power. Uh, And so that means that the Father has placed the Son next to him on the throne in a place of real power and real authority. And we see this uh, throughout other New Testament scriptures that I would just highlight two to you. Many of you are familiar with Philippians chapter 2, very famous hymn about Christ. And it says, Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Let me show you one more from Ephesians. 1.20 says this, The Father, he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Heaven being the place of authority where God rules and reigns. And so the Father has, has exalted the Son and ascended him into heaven so that he can reign at the right hand. So really the ascension is Jesus' installation as king. It's his, his enthronement as the king of the world, the king of the universe. Now, if you say that, you know, queen or queen so-and-so has ascended to the throne, queen Elizabeth has ascended to the throne, um, you, understand it to, you understand it to mean not that they're saying, oh, well, they've, maybe they've you know, climbed s- some stairs in some sense and they've actually sat on a literal throne, Most of us don't take it that way. When we say someone has ascended to the throne, what we mean is they've assumed a position of authority. They've been installed into a new office. They have taken a new position which gives them authority in their domain. In the same way, Jesus ascending to heaven means he's ascended to the throne of heaven as king. He's installed as king. And Peter, he wanted to show that his very Jewish audience that this is exactly what God had intended for the Messiah from the beginning. And so he quotes, very appropriately, uh, from the Old Testament, and he quotes from Psalm 110. Now, here's a little bit of Bible trivia for you. Did you know that Psalm 110 
is the most quoted Old Testament passage that's quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted more times than any other Old Testament passage. So it was crucial for the early church's understanding of what it meant for who Jesus was. And so uh, Peter quotes it. Oh, I guess I don't have it on the screen, so I need, I, I need to come back. But you have it in your Bible. Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, many scholars believe that in the, the original use of Psalm 110 was used as a way of installing the king in Israel. And installing the king was a glorious ritual. And it involved a procession up to the temple, and it was a, it was a, a huge celebration. And uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he recognizes that the ascension is the moment that Jesus is installed as king. And so the early church fathers, when they were reflecting on this, they recognized that Jesus' installation was a glorious process and celebration. They saw it as not just a one moment in time, but as a, as a victory procession up to the throne of heaven. You see, ascending to heaven was a victory march over Satan and sin and death. You know, Jesus left heaven to come to earth, but he returns as a victorious winner with a rescued humanity upon his shoulders. You see, we've been talking about the last dance also, and when the Bulls won all those championships, there were uh, championship parades and celebrations in downtown Chicago, right? Uh, in fact, many of our own members, uh, Jason and Cherish Goldman, Garrett Gutowski, Emily Langan, they were at those celebrations, so you can ask them what it was like to be there. Uh, but everyone is, is celebrating and shouting and cheering and they're making signs and they're celebrating the victory that they had witnessed their team accomplish. And this is how the early church fathers envisioned Jesus' ascension. It's a, a victory parade into glory. And as he's ascending, we can envision angels that are celebrating and bowing down and rejoicing at the victory of the Son. And then... And this is one of the most magnificent pieces of all. When, when Jesus reaches, metaphorically speaking, the gates of heaven, many of the early church fathers believed that Psalm 24 applied to this situation uh, and that prophesied about the Messiah. And so it says, they picture those in heaven saying, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So some of the early church fathers, they envisioned Jesus ascending to heaven, reaching the gates, and, and, and the angels cry out, who is this king of glory? Open up these doors that this king of glory may come in. And so Jesus is, has, reaches the gates of heaven and the doors open. They open. And they open from that point on, for all humanity to enter in, to go where Jesus has gone. How does that impact your life today? Friends, Jesus has paved the way to heaven for us. By his ascension, heaven's gates have been opened. I like how one of the other church, church, early church fathers said this. Tertullian says, The way of ascent, or the way, the way to heaven, was thereafter leveled with the ground by the footsteps of the Lord and an entrance thereafter opened by the might of Christ. That's what happened 
when Jesus ascended into heaven. He opened the gates for all. So his ascension, we need to view it as this victory parade. All of heaven is rejoicing at the triumph of the Son. The angels praise his name and he opens the gates of heaven and he's installed as the glorious king of the world. Wow, what a king we serve. What a king we serve. So that's number one. Jesus' ascension is his kingly installation where the gates of heaven are open for all. Number two, Jesus' ascension means he is king of the world right now. He is king of the world right now. You see, we said he was installed, he was enthroned. Um, in the early church, their earliest confession of faith was simply, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And that means Caesar is not all other political parties and, and people that are, are vying for power in this world. They are not really in charge. Jesus Christ is. He's in charge. And I like what Karl Barth points out in the Apostles' Creed that when Jesus is sitting at the right hand, it's the only present tense verb that we get about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. I want you to notice this for yourself. We proclaim this uh, usually on communion Sundays together. And we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived, past tense, by the, by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and look how it changes. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That is a present reality of what we believe. He is there. And then it goes on to say, a future tense, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And actually, that'll be for our next sermon series after we finish this one. We'll be talking about that. Uh, But right now, he is seated at the right hand, right now, the place of authority. That's what Jesus is up to. That's what he's doing. He's ruling the world presently from the throne in heaven. And you might already be asking, can this really be true? I mean, look at all the evil and the injustice, the pain and the sickness and the, and the violence in our world. It's, it's so broken. Um, if Jesus is king, it's kind of hard to believe it, or, or maybe he's even making a mess of the place. Uh, what's going on? You see, the church believes that Jesus' ruling of the world is absolutely real. He's king and lord of the world right now. But the way, the way he rules is different than all other ways that human rulers rule. It's absolutely different. It is upside down. And Psalm 110, again, that most quoted passage of the Old Testament, helps us understand this. So let's go back to it. So the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And it says, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of of your enemies. Notice that. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Notice the king who is in charge, who is at the right hand, has enemies. The king has enemies. See, there are forces in this world that are in opposition to Jesus, and they are real, and they are present even while he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is ruling in the midst of forces that are against all the good and loving goals that he has for the world. And Jesus is ruling in the midst of them, in the midst of evil, in the midst of Satan's power and demons, in the midst of the cultural evil of our world, in the midst of all of its brokenness, 
Jesus is ruling. So you might want to ask, well, how is Jesus going to rule and overcome these forces that destroy our world? What's he going to do? Actually, can we go back to the Psalm 110 passage where it says, The Lord is going to extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Now, Zion, that's another term for Jerusalem or the Temple Mount. And it's the, basically, this is the same thing in another way that Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended. He said, you will be my witnesses from where? Jerusalem, that's Zion, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And really the early church took this phrase to mean that the, that the king's rule, that Jesus' rule is going to extend over the world as the gospel is preached and as people begin to put their trust in the name of Jesus. So this is how Jesus said his kingdom would grow, right? He said it would grow like yeast working through dough, like a mustard seed, mustard seed pl- uh, that's planted and begins to grow slowly into a plant, a large, large plant. Uh, you see, Jesus' rule, it's so different because it's so loving and it's so patient with all people. People that you, you and I don't think that we should be patient with, Jesus is patient with. Jesus' rule it's, a, it's kind of like a father forgive them. They know not what they're doing type of rule. Uh, and he wants everybody, no matter what they've done, how evil they might be, that, or we think they might be, he wants them all to come to repentance. And bit by bit, the gospel is spreading and the Lord's rule is expanding. And sometimes it feels like, if we're honest, that we can't really see it. That we can't really see that he's working. Uh, but I think many of you have probably heard the new popular song. It's called Way- Waymaker. It's got some powerful lyrics, in it, and it says, Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. We believe that Jesus died for us and he rose again by faith. And we believe that he's king and lord of the world by faith as well. And friends, when we really believe this, when we meditate on this, this is going to fill us with so much hope. You see, Jesus is Lord right now. He's Lord today. He was Lord yesterday. He's Lord today. He's going to be Lord tomorrow, unless he comes again. Uh, But as our Lord and King, he is committed to caring for his people. And we touched on this last week as we talked about Jesus being the head of the church. But I want you to know that your King is looking out for you no matter what comes, no matter what the forces of evil do in this world, your king is caring for you. And I love how John Calvin puts this. Um, And again, it's it's a little bit of a longer quote, but it's so good, it's so rich. It's poetic language. It says, Thus it is that we may patiently pass through this life with its misery, its hunger, cold, contempt, reproaches, and all other troubles, content with this one thing, that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our warfare ended, we are called to triumph. Such is the nature of his rule. Remember, it's different. That he shares with us all that he has received from the Father. And now he arms and equips us with his power, adorns us with his beauty and a magnificence, and he enriches us with his wealth. That's what your king does for you. He provides for us. He fills us. Friends, because Jesus is king, you have nothing to fear. Because Jesus is king, nothing can ultimately harm you. 
Because Jesus is king, you will have all you need. And because Jesus is king, no matter what happens with the politics of this world, they don't have your allegiance and they don't cause you to worry because you know who is on the throne. And because Jesus is king, you will get through this. You will make it. And we, you will, we will make it to the other side, not only of the season that we're in, but also through all the trials of life. And our Father and King will welcome us home. And so this is our hope that He is our King. And He's ruling the world right now. That's number two. Jesus' ascension means He is King of the world right now. And that brings me to number three. Jesus' ascension means that we have a decision to make about the king. We have a decision to make about this king, a real decision with our lives. Uh, You know, Peter, he's in the sermon, he's speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience, and he has told them that basically they are responsible for putting Jesus to death. They put Jesus to death. But God raised him up and exalted him to the right hand, and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit as they're now seeing And then he says to them, he has made the one that you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And in verse 37, it says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And it goes on to say more. You see, they were cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? That is the most important question you could ever ask with your life. What will you do about Jesus Christ? How will you respond to Jesus Christ? What will you do with him? Friends, this is the most important you could ask both now and forever. And Peter says simply, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So he says, repent, that means to turn around 180 degrees. You were going this way, living your own life, and then you went this way to, and you, when we turned around and, I, and you said, I'm going with Jesus, that's repentance. Then he says, be baptized. Now, this is, this is the initiation right into the community of Jesus, into the kingdom. And Craig Keener, a biblical scholar, gives us some helpful uh, pointers here about what this meant for this audience. And Keener says, because baptism was a sign of conversion to Judaism, normally reserved for pagans, Peter's demand would offend his Jewish hearers and cost them respectability. He calls for a public, radical testimony of conversion, not a private, non-committal request for salvation with just no conditions. No, repent and be baptized. Make a public declaration that you are converting your whole life to Jesus Christ. He will now be your king from now on. But I want to make clear to you that it's not the baptism that saves It's the fact that Peter says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, the person being baptized would confess their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Lord, their King, and their Savior. And now because of that, they receive the free gifts of forgiveness of all their sins and also God's very Holy Spirit dwelling within them. It's an amazing promise. And Peter says this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise of forgiveness in the Spirit is for you. It is for you. It is for everybody. The whole world is invited in. And if you happen to be watching this service 
Uh, maybe you've been curious about Jesus Christ yourself. Uh, maybe you've, got, you've, you've gone to church, but you haven't been connected in a while. Um, you've, but you've never really actually committed yourself to following Jesus before. And friends, I want to urge you that there is only one way out of this life, and it's death. And after we die, we will face the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before God and be judged by the things we've done in this world, both good and bad. And none of us are good enough to stand before a holy God. We will be judged. But Jesus Christ, he has opened the gates of heaven. He has opened the way to eternal life. He, because of what he did for you on the cross, he has paid and forgiven for all your sins. And now he asks you to repent of your sin, to put your faith and trust in him. And Peter adds to be baptized, to come into the community of the church. That's what we have to do. So friends, I urge you right now, whatever you need to do, get right with God and submit your life to him as king. And if you've never done that, at the end of the sermon, you'll have an opportunity to pray with me and we'll, make that, we'll pray that, to, that together. But I think for many of us who are watching this sermon right now, we have received Jesus as our king. He is our Lord. And what we need to do is to recover the urgency of this message, the urgency that Jesus is really king right now and he's coming again. And this is what Peter does. Look what Peter does. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. A glorious day. Did you ever notice this? This is, this is just for free. Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter just got the largest catch of his life. Through the power of the Spirit, 3,000 people are added because he pleaded, pleaded with them. He warned them. He preached the gospel to them. And I want you to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you ever plead with somebody to accept Jesus as Lord? Would you ever warn somebody that they need to accept Jesus as Lord? You know, certainly we don't want to be impatient or pushy or, or rude. We want to be loving and gentle and respectful of all people. But ask yourself, would you sincerely plead with somebody, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, to put their trust in Jesus Christ? And if you're not sure that you would, or if you never really have before, then I believe that we are not grasping the, the magnitude of who Jesus is and what it is we say that we believe. We believe he's risen and we believe he's ascended to the throne. He's the king. We have good news to share. And it's an urgent and powerful and a, the most important message anybody could hear. He's now Lord. He's the one way of salvation. And without that salvation, all that we can expect is a terrifying judgment. Nothing could be more urgent. And friends, I know that I need more urgency in my life. It's something we need to pray for. That the Spirit, the early church often prayed, God, fill us with boldness to proclaim your message. So right now, Jesus is King of heaven and earth. He has opened the way to heaven for all. And we must all make the most important decision of our lives. What are we going to do about Jesus Christ? And no matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you are someone wanting to trust Jesus for the first time or you're a longtime believer, I invite you to pray this prayer together of submitting our lives to King Jesus. We all can do this. And so if you're at home, you can repeat after me. Friends, this is the most important thing that you could do. Let's pray this prayer together. 
You can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are Lord and King. I put my whole trust in you. I repent of all my sin. I give my life over to you. Grant me your Holy Spirit to help me follow you. Thank you for saving me. Give me boldness. Give me urgency to share Jesus with others. Amen.